right now, what is the most important goal of your life? How would you answer that question? A two-year study done by the Barna Group, which is a group that does questionnaires and studies statistical analysis for people. Um, a two-year study done by this group asked this question right now, what is the most important goal of your life? To people who identified themselves as born-again Christians. Now, um, it's important to realize that this is not just people that identify themselves as Christians. Because um, a lot of people identify themselves as Christians. You know, you're born into a Christian home or uh, people were raised Catholic. And, you know, so you, you feel like, well, I'm Catholic. That was the way I was raised. That's the way my, my grandmother was and my great-grandfather and all of this on and on. Uh, this is, you know, who I am. I'm just Catholic. It's part of my culture. It's part of my family. Same thing can be said of people who uh, consider themselves to be uh, to be Baptist or Methodists, and uh, they are they feel like they're um, culturally Christians in that sense. But to be a born again Christian. This question was asked of people who consider themselves to be born-again Christians. A born-again Christian is someone who, uh, regardless of what kind of culture they're raised, they believe that uh, they have had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. They've repented of their sin, turned away from their sin, and they have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so under that parameter, this question was asked, Right now, what is the most important goal you have in life? And the question, by the way, was open-ended. There wasn't a list of five or four or three things to choose from because sometimes questionnaires can be leading, intentionally leading, sometimes unintentionally leading. You know, if you really want to seem like you're gaining a lot of support for whatever you want to try to accomplish, uh, you ask a question and you put three ridiculous answers and then one fourth answer that makes more sense and, and then everyone chooses that. Oh, looky there, 87% of people love their mother, you know, or whatever it might be that you're trying to, uh, to get people to say. Uh, but it wasn't this way. It was just an open-ended question. People had to respond either verbally or written uh, and they had to write out their answer. Right now, what is the most important goal of your life? And the answers that came back were... To live a happy life, or to have a good marriage, to raise good kids, to handle my finances well. And answers like this, and these are perfectly fine things for people to want out of life. We all want those things for our lives. I mean, don't we? And, and they, they may have been good answers, but they weren't the best answer. And there's a difference between good and the best. There's a difference between good and great. You see, over these two years that Barnum was asking this question, not one person who identified themselves as a born-again Christian said something like, my goal in life right now is to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, one person who identified themselves as a born-again Christian, said, my goal right now is to help other people follow Jesus or to make disciples or anything along that line. 
And it seems like that culturally in America, those of us who consider ourselves to be born-again believers may have forgotten what Jesus said about these very other important things, having a happy life and a good marriage and raising good kids and handling finances as well. We may have forgotten a very important thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said that we should seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to us. The things that we worry about. The clothing and the money and the raising the kids and uh, the marriage and all of this. We have to put first things first. Seek first God's kingdom. And all of these other things will be added to us. And so in other words, when we follow Jesus and we help other people follow Jesus, we're seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, then all the other areas of our lives will be affected for the better. Let me put it a different way. When you allow God to change you from the inside out, it affects everything else. Okay, But you have to deal with you and God. You have to deal with you and God. So we have a very simple choice that we have to make. Are we going to do things our way? Are we going to live life our way? Or are we going to do things God's way? And the natural question is, well, how do we know what God's way really is? Well, that's, that's a good question. And there's a very good answer. God has told us what His way is. God's way is in this book that we call the Bible. It is the very Word of God. You see, we believe at this church that God has spoken. Just to give you an idea, if, if you're sort of new to Christianity or Baptist or whatever, and you're sort of wondering, you know, checking things out, uh, let, let me, let me give, give you a very broad overview of what we believe. We do believe that there is a God. We believe that He became flesh. He became a human. And we call Him Jesus. And this Jesus is the living Word of God who explained who God is to us, this invisible, immortal, eternal God that we cannot see with our eyes. He became flesh, and this is Jesus. And Jesus lived a life without sin. Jesus taught His followers, called apostles or disciples, He taught His followers how to live their lives, and He taught them about God. And Jesus died on a cross, and when He died on the cross, He died to pay for my sins and for your sins. Why? Because we're sinners. We've messed up. And our sin has offended an infinitely holy God to the point that the punishment for sin is death. But Jesus was our substitute. Jesus paid that penalty on our behalf so that we do not have to be separated from God. And Jesus did not stay dead, but a few days later, he rose from the grave. Why? Well, because he's Jesus. Because he is the eternal Son of God. And what does Jesus rising from the dead have to do with you? You see, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, to remove your sins. He rose from the grave to give you resurrection life. So that you have eternal life right here and right now, 
that if you give your heart and your life to Jesus, you decide to follow Jesus, right here and right now, you will live forever. Jesus said, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And if you decide to follow Jesus, you will live forever starting right now. Right now. You might get older, you might get sick, and this body of clay may not be able to withhold all of the, all of the sin and the sickness and the, the bad things of life, and it may give out someday. But the real you, the spiritual you, will live on. And Jesus promises that just as he was given a brand new resurrection body, so will you be someday. You will have that someday. Jesus taught his disciples many things after he rose from the grave, before he ascended to heaven. And shortly thereafter, the Spirit of God came and filled the hearts and the lives of the people that decided to follow Jesus. Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's coming back as the king of this world. And there will be no mistake that he is the king of all kings. And he will rule this world for all eternity. This Jesus, this God, this story has been given to us in written form. And it is the Bible. Some people call it God's love letter. Some people call it God's revelation of himself. But the Bible is the very word of God. And your Bible that you have is a good and proper English translation of what was originally written down many, many centuries ago. And so you can trust your Bible. It has been faithfully translated into the language that you speak so that you don't have to learn Greek and Hebrew. Amen? <laughs> that may be beyond some of our scope. But faithful translators have translated it into your language so that you can read it, so that you can listen to it being read if you don't know how to read, so that you can study it, so that you can understand it, so that you can teach it, and most importantly, so that you can live it. So here's the deal. We have what God wants us to know in this holy book. Question is, are you going to live this way? Or are you going to do your own thing? It's a choice that we have every single day. Am I going to live by the precepts, of the principles, of God's word, or am I just going to do my own thing? And if you decide that you want to live life God's way, here's what you have to do. You have to become a student of the scriptures. You have to begin to learn this and put this off of the page into your life. You've got to put it up here. You've got to put it in here. Because the people that you care about are waiting for you to live it. And if you don't have it in here, you can't live it out. You can't be the Jesus that they need you to be. It's critically important that we become students of God's Word. And so we know in this series that we've 
uh, that we've been talking about, making disciples. We know that God wants us to help other people follow Him, to follow Jesus. And we know, we've covered this last week, that if there's somebody in your life, man, they are far from God. They don't want to hear about God. They're very distant about God. They're, they're cold toward God. They don't want to talk about God or they're just completely disinterested. We know that if that's their situation, what you are to provide them is love demonstrated by actions, okay? Love and prayer. And I'm not saying this kind of condescending, oh, I'll just pray for you. No. I'm talking about real intercessory, intercessory prayer where you're deeply concerned about the spiritual condition, about the eternal condition of your lost loved one, be it a friend, a family member, whoever it might be, a co-worker, you're very concerned about them, concerned enough to get alone with God and do business with God and intercede on their behalf. So you provide them that type of prayer. You provide them with love and friendship that is tangible. And you'll begin to see the hard ground of their heart be broken up and begin to be ready to receive the seed of God's Word. Today, we're talking about the seed of God's Word, planting God's Word into other people's lives. And that means, according to Jesus and His parable of the sower, that you and I are the sower. Let's put it in West Texas terms. You and I are the farmer. We're the farmers. And if there's somebody in your life, in your field of life, their heart is hard ground, you got to plow it up. You plow it up through prayer and through love. Now, if there's somebody who is seeking after God, they're asking questions, maybe about the Bible, they're asking questions about God, they're asking questions about marriage, they're asking your advice about finances, whatever it might be, and you're able to point them to Christ, then the, the soil of their heart is ready to receive God's Word. But what does the farmer always have to have? He has to have seed. Now, I'm not a good farmer. I'm not a good gardener. But I'll tell you this. If I have seed in my hand, and the best farmer in the world doesn't have any, I'm going to do better than him. You have to have the seed. You have to have the seed. What's the seed according to Jesus? It is the Word of God. I am asking you to become serious about putting God's Word into your life. You have to have God's Word in your life if you're going to plant it in other people's lives. Okay, you have to possess God's Word within you. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 9. Now, if you, talk, if you turn to Psalm 100 and you're looking for verse 19, you won't find it. There's not 19 verses in that psalm. Psalm chapter 119 in verse 9. Psalm 119, verse 9. Psalm 119 is a fantastic psalm. There's over 170 verses in the psalm. We're not going to read them all, I promise. Okay? But almost every single verse talks about the Word of God, the importance of God's Word. But in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9, and reading through verse 16, I'll just read this quickly and then we'll go back through a part of it. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. 
With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. This psalm in these few verses gives us at least four very simple techniques that I want to share with you how you can put God's word into your life. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself and and answer this question honestly to yourself. Uh, Do you get into God's word in between Sundays, like Monday through Saturday, okay, you don't have to shake your head or, or confess or anything like that. But just be honest with yourself, okay? If 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 you don't, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take one step. I'm asking you every day this week to read one chapter a day. Take about five minutes, okay? Just one chapter in the Bible per day. Just do that for a week. See if it changes your days this week. Okay? Just one chapter. Now, if you're already reading God's Word, as we talk about some of these techniques, I, I would ask you to consider adding to what you're already doing. Just adding one thing to what you're already doing. So let's see what the psalmist said he did with God's Word to put it in his heart, to treasure it in his heart. And let's see if we can learn a few things from him. Number one, technique number one, memorize God's word. Look at verse 11. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Try memorizing God's word. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. Because if I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. I can't memorize things, Pastor. I'm not good at memorizing. My memory isn't that good. I understand. I don't believe you, but I understand. I do not believe you though, and I'm going to prove it. I want you to re- I want you to say out loud and finish what I'm about to say. Mary had a little lamb. That's amazing. I did not know that this congregation came together this week to go over that. Now, if sarcasm was a spiritual gift, boy, I'd be blessed at it. Because I'm, I'm going to be real sarcastic, okay? Here's the deal. I'm being sarcastic because I got to, I've got to convince you that you're lying to yourself. When you say you can't memorize things. Because you just said you can. You proved you can. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, Now, if you can memorize a poem about a psychotic lamb that follows Mary, I think you might be able to memorize something more important like God's Word. Okay? Let me try it again. This is even more important. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Up above the world so high. Now, if you can memorize a poem that sounds like 
the Beatles wrote it after a bad trip. <laughs> you can probably memorize scripture. Okay? So I'm going to help you. All right? Enough with the sarcasm. I'm going to help you. Okay? We're going to memorize Romans chapter 5, verse 8. A lot of you know it. You probably heard it before. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to memorize this right now, and I'm going to show you exactly how. First thing you do when you want to memorize a verse, you're reading the Bible and you come across a verse like, oh man, that's a great verse. That really spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me about that. I ought to memorize that. Here's what you do. You take that verse, break it down into phrases. The first phrase, but God demonstrates his love toward us, right? His own love toward us. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Can you say that? Read it. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Stop right there. When you memorize scripture, it's good to say it out loud. Okay, now if you're in an office building and people are like, he's talking to himself. Maybe, maybe, maybe you want to do it silently. But otherwise, it's good to say it out loud because when you say it out loud, you're reading it with your eyes. You're saying it with your mouth. You're hearing it with your ears. You're involving your senses. And this is how you learn. You involve your senses. If there's a way for you to smell it and taste it, I would tell you to do that too, but, but I haven't figured that out yet. So you say it out loud, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And then you say it without looking. Say it without looking. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. That's it. Some of y'all looked. You cheated. That's okay. Um, that's all right. And then you move on to the next phrase. And it says, for God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. That's the next phrase. In that while we were yet sinners. Say that. Read it. In that while we were yet sinners. Got it? Put it together with the first phrase. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Stop right there. And try to do it from memory. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Stop. There's one last phrase. It's the most beautiful one of all. Christ died for us. You can say that. Christ died for us. And you can add it all together. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you can probably say it from memory by now. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't care about Mary and her lamb. I don't care about twinkle, twinkle. But boy, I can't tell you how much I care that Christ died for me because God loved me. That's worth memorizing. Okay, You can do it. It didn't take that long. It took about two minutes in the sermon for us to do that. Okay? You can do it. Please don't try to tell yourself you can't because you can. You can do it. Okay? Memorize God's Word. How do I know what verses to memorize? As you're reading God's Word, there might be one that, for lack of a better phrase, jumps off the page. Okay? That's, that's impressed upon your heart. Memorize that one. Memorize that one. Okay? Memorize God's Word. Technique number two, real quick. Ask God to teach you. Look at verse 12 of that psalm we read. 
It says, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. That's easy. Before you read God's Word, here's what you do. Before you take that five minutes to read that chapter, just say, God, please teach me something in this chapter. Speak to my heart. And then you begin to read in the spirit of prayer. Okay? Real easy to do. Teach me your statutes. Technique number three. Teach God's Word to others. Verse 13 says, With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. With my lips I've told what you've said. I tell others what you said. If you really want to grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word, teach it to others. You see, you will learn more by teaching than you ever can simply being taught by others. You can sit under the greatest teacher in the world and listen and learn a lot, but you'll learn even more if you teach. Why? Because you're going to come across stuff that you, you is, is more than you, can, than you can give away. When you teach, you're wrestling with the Scriptures. You're asking questions that your students may ask you. And in the end, you've gained more understanding of that passage than you can ever share. And those of you that are Sunday school teachers, have been Sunday school teachers for a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You learn so much more by teaching. And technique number four, meditate on God's Word. Look at verse 15. The psalmist said, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. What is this meditation? Does that mean I should get on the ground and cross my legs and burn incense and hum and you know click some symbols or something? What is it? What's meditation? No, you can do that if you want. This may be a lot of fun. I don't know. If, if I got on the ground with my legs crossed like that, I may not be able to get up. But um, that's not biblical meditation. To meditate on God's Word means you slow down. It means you slow down. And you focus on a verse carefully and with a mind toward applying it to your life. Let me give you an example. Let's do this for a minute. James chapter 3, verse 17. Great verse. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now, if you're doing a sprint, you can just read through that and not catch anything. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, and gentle. And you just blow right past it. But to meditate on God's Word means that you take that first section. The, med- the wisdom from above, God's wisdom. It's pure. And you focus on that. Is my life pure? Are my actions pure? Are my words that I say pure? Are my thoughts pure thoughts? What would be the effect of my life if I'm not pure? Would I miss out on God's wisdom? You focus on a part of God's Word. You consume it and let it consume you. 
You interact with it. You take time to allow the Holy Spirit to impress God's Word upon you. And then if I was doing this with this entire verse, I would do that with purity, and then I would do that with being peace, being gentle. For me as a male, I would ask myself, am I a gentle man? That's a word that doesn't have much meaning in our society today. But am I a gentleman? Am I reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy? And if you take time to consume that, the Holy Spirit may impress upon your life changes that you need to make, corrections. He may encourage you that you're on the right path. Now, these are four techniques, and if you allow God's Word to dwell in your life, I hope that the, the benefits to you would be obvious because you will have a better day. You will have a better week and a better life, even if trouble comes. You can't stop the trouble. But if the trouble comes, wouldn't it be best to be equipped with the Word of God than unequipped or ill-equipped? But you'll also be ready to plant the seed of God's Word and the hearts of loved ones who need to know the Lord. And so here's how, what it would look like. You've got a lost uh, friend, a co-worker, maybe uh, someone who says, you know, man, I'm having, some, I'm having some problems with my bills. I just don't know where all my money is going. You know? And they tell you a little bit, and, and, and you're able to say back to them, you know, I've been there. I understand. And I made a decision a long time ago to cut up my credit cards. And I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Why do you think they call it master card? Because they are your master. And so I made a decision to cut up my cards. And to live within my means. Because I'm trying to do things the way the Bible says. Or your friend comes to you and, and they, they're saying, man, my, it just feels like my life is coming apart. I mean, you always seem to have everything together. How do you do it? And you, you reply, man, no. You know, I've got my share of problems. Believe me. But I do have something now that was missing in my life for so long. I have peace in my life. And I still have my share of problems, but there's a peace that I have. Because I remember this Bible verse when bad times come. It says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart's in your minds in Christ Jesus. And you tell your friend, that verse means a lot to me as a follower of Jesus. And what you're doing is you're planting the seed of God's word. Church, let me, let me tell you right now. If we're not putting God's word into our lives, we cannot ever expect God to change the people around us. We have to be students of God's Word.